Welcome to the Highly Sensitive Person Podcast, a twice-monthly podcast for people who experience the world intensely. Join me on a journey of acceptance of our highly sensitive person traits. Welcome to episode 65 of the Highly Sensitive Person Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly. This is a show for highly sensitive people or people who think they might be highly sensitive or those who have an HSP in their life and just want to learn more about the trait. Or the show is for just curious people too, right? There's nothing wrong with being curious and just wanting to learn more about new things. And well, in this episode, I learned something totally new by chatting with Nikki Eisenhower. Nikki is a licensed professional counselor, a chemical dependency counselor, yoga and meditation teacher, writer, and budding comedian. Today, we're going to discuss a few things, but mainly narcissists and why HSPs attract narcissists. And we're also going to talk about why high sensitivity is often pathologized. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit more about Nikki. In her work and experience, she specializes in trauma, grief and loss, addiction, and has come to understand highly sensitive people, what wounds them, what drives them, and how they heal. Her most recent project is called Wise Owl Within, where she offers sensitives and healers support, evolution, and the life that they desire. You can find more about it at wiseowlwithin.com. So let's get started. Nikki, thank you so much for being here today. Wow, thank you for having me. I would like to know, are you a highly sensitive person and how did you first learn about high sensitivity? I am definitely a highly sensitive person and I think I began learning about it as I started realizing that this was really a real personality type, that this was a part of the population. Um in my career, just working with people over and over again in different capacities, really feeling drawn to certain individuals and seeing some of their highly sensitive traits that were also my own highly sensitive traits and realizing that we processed very similarly. So what is it like to be a mental health professional and also a highly sensitive person? Because one thing that seems to come up over and over throughout my reading and researching about high sensitivity is so many people go see a therapist or a counselor and the therapist has never heard of high sensitivity. So what is it like for you as a mental health professional and a counselor and a highly sensitive person? How do you see how all of that fits together? Well, I've been the client to, with some of those therapists. And so it's a big part of why I want, I've wanted to be a therapist in my life is because I had some therapists that really I felt understood me, even if they didn't use the term highly sensitive, mm -hmm. uh, even when I was a child. And then I had other therapists that I felt on every level really did not understand what my process was, what I was going through, um, and, and really labeled in a pathologizing way as a problem, some of my sensitive traits that as a process, I've come to really uh, love about myself and love about about other people. I, I think it's some of the most wonderful qualities that we have. Um, but it also takes a lot to manage those. Um, so as a professional, I think it's a huge asset and gift that I have because I, I can feel, I can sense what someone is going through uh, when they come into my office. Um, 
But clinically with that training, it, it, it's very tricky because therapists are trained to find these clinical criteria mm. and really get away from our gut and get away from our own feelings so that the client can come in and really be themselves. Mm-hmm. And we can be sort of this blank slate sounding mm-hmm. word to kind of bounce ideas off of. So in a, in a lot of ways, it's been a struggle for me to reconcile those two very opposing positions. Wow, that's really interesting. I'm kind of processing that right now. <laughs> Is, is it difficult as a highly sensitive person, you have a lot of empathy and I'm trying to imagine myself if I was a mental health professional and I had to speak one-on-one with someone and try to help them with their challenges, I feel like it would be extremely difficult for me to not cry and, and, you know, and feel so bad for people and their problems when they're really hurting and struggling. Is that another thing that's hard to reconcile is to put away your emotions when you're helping someone? Well, yes, but interestingly enough, uh, a counseling education. My undergrad is in psychology. My master's degree is in counseling. Uh, Different than the rest of the public, different than any other profession, really, therapists are taught about boundaries. They're taught about self-care. They're taught about how to be in an emotional process with someone and not soak it up like a sponge. So even before I had the term highly sensitive person, I was involved in a training that in a way was speaking to my high sensitivity through the education as a therapist to be able to, to distance and to be able to take care of myself and to separate and figure out, okay, what is my own? What is this other person's? Where is that line? And how do I manage that? Hmm. And I think that could help a lot of highly sensitive people because that's something I hear all the time is, you know, when something painful happens to you, or even when it happens to someone you know, it's so hard to not keep thinking about it and keep feeling bad about it on and on and on. And people always say, like, how can I stop obsessing and and feeling bad about this thing? Or even a lot of times it's with animals, too. Like, I've talked about this before, that sometimes I'll watch um, videos about, like, ant dog rescues, and they're so sad, and you feel so bad for the dog before they're rescued, like, when they're still, you know, out there, and they're sick and injured you feel so bad about it. Like, what can I do? Like, I want to save every dog. I want to change the world. How can a normal person maybe put some of those tools into practice that you have learned as a mental health professional to try to separate your struggles and your pain with other people's and other creatures? Well, that's a, that's a, it's a big process. And I, and I think that's the biggest piece is accepting that this is no kind of like light switch that you can flip. I think this is a big part of why I felt so called to rebrand myself as more of a mentor um, to highly sensitive people to share part of my process because I've gotten this, this unique experience of really being forced to have to practice some of these skills Mm -hmm. of having client after client after client come into my office session after session after session where almost like a muscle, like you would work out a muscle at the gym. Mm -hmm. I've had to work out these muscles of how to separate myself from their process and also how to keep my skill set or my, my, my talents in this way or what I can perceive an asset for their process and my life while not burning out. So it sounds like part of the answer is just practice in a way. Just like anything. I I think you know, practice, we do need that practice. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to figure out in our lives, um, 
how to get that practice. So a big part of what I do with people is help them reframe some of the difficult situations or the difficult personalities in their life, in their families, in their workplaces, maybe with neighbors, um, and, and how to really kind of look at it through this lens of, wow, okay, this person is tough for me. This person is an emotional vampire for me. I feel really drained. But instead of this being a negative in my life, how do I step back and really look at this as a huge opportunity to really flex and grow these muscles mm-hmm. of being able to, to be more of the observer of what's happening mm-hmm. instead of be in the emotional process of what's happening so that I don't drain myself and that I get to have more control, which is really what we're all vying for yes. all the time. Mm-hmm. When the, because we have no control about a lot of these personalities showing up in our lives. So I'd love to talk about narcissists because this is something that I see popping up all the time in relation to highly sensitive people. The idea that HSPs attract narcissists um, or sociopaths. And I'd love to talk about this with you. But first, can you define what a narcissist is? I can, but let me first talk a little bit about personality. Sure. Okay. Because what we're we're talking about as therapists, as a field, we're trying to um, quantify and qualify personality, which is something that is just an impossible task. We are all multidimensional. We're complex. Um, so when I talk about personality, I just want to talk about it with the, the caveat of please hear this like in a, in a general sense, just to kind of like soak up some learning and be able to kind of learn more about yourself and other personalities in the world. We all have these, these different hats um, just like, you know, in the bedroom, we have this sort of sexual self. You don't show that when you go to the grocery store. Right. It's not that you're two different people. It's just two very different aspects of your personality and different parts of yourself show up at different times. Uh, one of my sort of sort of beefs with my profession and with how we categorize these uh, personality disorders is that it's so finite. And the reality is that vi- that there are people who fit this narcissistic personality type or this sociopathic antisocial personality type 100%. But there are also tons of people who fit on this continuum where they don't fit 100% of these personality disorder types, but they have a lot of these traits. And in that gray area is where a lot of us, I think a lot of highly sensitive people get really confused. Because it would be very simple for someone to be all good or all bad. And we really, as a human being, we want that Mm -hmm. because it simplifies it. If somebody is all bad, wow, that is so clear to me. I don't have to deal with that. Let me move away from it. Right. But that's not how people show up Mm -hmm. as human beings. They have have good and wonderful parts. And really, we can't be manipulated without those good and wonderful parts. So we have to really, in, in my professional opinion, learn how to kind of take people as their whole, but really identify these different parts that are hard for us individually so that we can learn techniques and skills about how to deal with these different parts of personalities that, that show up instead of, um, kind of thinking about this as this is a type of person. These, these traits can show up in all of us at any time. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. When we talk, so antisocial is kind of a funny term. I wish it wasn't the term because it sounds like someone who is like off in the corner and pulling themselves away from society. And that's really not what it is. And a sociopathic antisocial personality by definition is someone who goes against the norms 
of the culture. That's what antisocial means. Okay. And, and, and to be social, to be healthy, to be a thriving social society, we need to kind of respect each other. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So an antisocial sociopathic personality does not respect the, the other people uh, in the tribe. Okay. Um, so not every sociopath is a narcissist. Okay. But not every narcissist is a sociopath. Okay. Follow so far. It's one of those. Okay. So uh-huh. um, in terms of narcissism, there's a lot of charm. Mm, okay. There's a lot of charisma. There's a lot of grandiosity. There's a lot of like big ideas, big visions. Uh, they like to take credit at work. If you've, if you've ever been working and someone just kind of takes credit for what you do, mm-hmm. that person might have some narcissistic traits. They tend to be very self-serving, self-serving, mm-hmm. uh, and they they really lack empathy. Ah, interesting. So that sounds like a very opposite from HSP trait then. It is, and it's part of why we can attract them. So, so if I'm, let's see, you can't see me, but if I, if there's a big long line of a continuum of personality in, in one way of looking at it, I might say that this narcissistic or sociopathic, this difficult personality is on one end because they, they're not feeling empathy. And on the other end of that spectrum might be highly sensitive people. Hmm, And in this kind of interesting way of opposites attracting, Hmm. We, we might be the opposites for this personality. Wow, interesting. So why do they attract each other then? Well, <laughs> <laughs> if a narcissist, if it's all about them, okay, and, and they don't have self-reflection, because if it's all about them and they're kind of um, all-knowing and that their way is right, mm-hmm. they don't have to self-reflect. It's kind of a catch-22. Right. It's also why they don't show up in counseling to work on this. Mm-hmm. Even if they have a lot of interpersonal issues, problems, if they get fired, um, because they're not the problem. Right. Everyone else yeah. is. Right. They're awesome. Everybody else is the problem. And so the reason that they, let's see, that we, that they're attracted to us and kind of link up is because highly sensitive people offer what we call narcissistic supply. Hmm. Interesting. Because a narcissist really craves being perceived well. Okay. Uh, they kind of take up all the space in the room. Uh-huh. Uh, they can't see from other perspectives. Mm-hmm. And a sensitive person really has so much empathy mm-hmm. that we can sort of give a lot of space to that personality accidentally. Hmm. Like we accept it maybe more than we should. Yes. And we're not as critical of it as maybe we should, or we don't see the harm in it, I suppose. Yes. Hmm. So it's part of the human condition that we sort of project what we want or we give away what we want to other people. Now, I know as a highly sensitive person, for me, I really crave understanding. Yeah. And so here comes this narcissist in my life, and they're kind of grandiose, and they're taking... They're taking uh, credit for my work at work. Uh, they're kind of pushing my buttons. They don't really seem to care. Like if I need a day off and something's going on, they, they don't really care. Mm-hmm. I have some red flags. Like that starts to feel icky to me, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Okay. But because I crave understanding and, and I would, I would, oh my gosh, I would hate, it would be hard for me if someone just completely disregarded me. And didn't want to listen to what I had to say. Definitely. 
So I, I have a propensity as a highly sensitive person to give away a lot of understanding because I really crave understanding. Interesting. So you try really hard to understand them. Like yes. Their perspective and what they're going through, whereas they're absolutely not doing that for you. Yes. So there's this, there's this sort of anti-reciprocal hmm. relationship that's happening and sensitives can get into this kind of mm, hole of giving and giving and giving and giving. Right. And a narcissist is completely comfortable taking and taking and taking and taking. Huh. So do you see how we kind of link together? Yeah. Like fortunate puzzle pieces. Yeah. And I'm, I bet everyone listening to this is thinking of someone in their life or a few people in their life who they think is a narcissist or they know is a narcissist. And for me, I'm just like kind of scanning through. I'm like, do I know anyone like that? I think I know, <laughs> you know, one or two people like this, but it's interesting. It's so interesting to think about this. There's, and of course, this is such a ridiculous HSP thing to say right now, but there's part of me that feels bad for, <laughs> for the narcissist because yes. they don't know that they're like that probably. And they don't know the downsides to the ways that they're behaving. So does a narcissist ever realize that they're a narcissist and try to get help for it? I mean, traditionally, I would say no, because they're absolutely fine. In their mind, they're absolutely fine the way that they are. And anyone who has a problem with them, the, the other person has the problem. So there's no, there's no problem for the narcissist to seek out right. change for. Hmm. So are there any other ways to spot a narcissist? Well, you can start to, I think, check in with yourself. A big thing that happens, okay, in, in the therapeutic process, often what happens is in a family system or in a work system that can look like a family, the person that shows up for counseling is what we call the identified patient. Okay. Now, this shocks a lot of people because the, the common sort of conception about going to therapy is I have a problem and I'm going to therapy to fix it. Mm-hmm. And the family members, especially if they have some narcissistic traits and it's not their problem, right? Right. They love that dynamic because, hey, buddy, you're going to therapy. The problem is you. I've been telling you the problem is you. I'm totally comfortable with you going to therapy, mm-hmm. you being the patient, you being the sick one, you being yeah. the one with things that are wrong with you. Totally. But what we see in counseling is that the person that often shows up as the identified patient is sometimes the healthiest person mm-hmm. in the system. Because they're able to look at themselves and say, wow, I can improve in some ways or I need to grow or I need to figure something out about myself. That's such a healthy dynamic. Yeah. Oh, now I feel better about myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Like it's often the healthiest person. And that, mm. that's so backwards to how we traditionally think about it. Right. There's some uh, part of me that can't help but feel sort of bad for narcissists. Yes, but that's also the part that keeps us in some dysfunctional relationships uh, much yeah. longer because that's our empathy. I'm falling and into it already. <laughs> I don't even, this is like a mythological made up narcissist and I already feel bad for them. They don't even exist. It's just like this hypothetical. <laughs> yes. And it's part of what makes it so difficult to disentangle, especially by ourselves. Yeah. Wow. We can, that can get really, really activated within us as sensitive people. So to, to, to disconnect from some of this dynamic or to pull back our empathy feels so awful to us. Yeah. We really don't want to. That feels wrong. It feels icky. It might even feel mm-hmm. cruel 
all these judgments that we have about not being so overly empathetic, but that's also the thing that makes us so vulnerable to these personalities that do not have empathy for us and will suck us dry and really use us. And, and to manage this dynamic, we have to step back as highly sensitive people and be able to acknowledge, wow, I am so participating in allowing other people to use me. Wow. And I have to learn how to stop that. Huh. And how do you know? That's the hard thing is how do you know when you're being overly whatever? You know what I mean? Where's the line for an HSP? I don't know when it's too much. I think that's part of why a process of really learning about yourself and your own intuition, Mm -hmm. because if I could be a little fly on the wall while someone was, while an, an HSP and a narcissist were having an interaction, I'd put good money. I would bet that there's a little moment where intuition says, uh, something's off here for that HSP. Okay. Judith Orloff is a wonderful author that I love. Um, she has a few books out. She's got a wonderful website and, and similar to me, but a little different. She's a, she's a uh, psychiatrist. I'm a psychotherapist. So she's an MD. She talks about going through school and turning off her, her intuition or her sensitive, um, qualities to be this kind of clinical doctor that she thought she believed she was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a similar process and that once you start to work with people again, it's sort of like intuition, like knocks and says, no, 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 no. You need this part to work with people. This is a good part. And that part turns back on again. So she really talks about this moment where our head kind of pulls back a little bit almost like this little, huh, that happens when we're interacting with someone. And that's our intuition saying, hey, I might not have this figured out in this moment, but there's something that I need to pay attention to here. And I think that is an important lesson because even personally, in the not too distant past, I've tried to become more in tune to my intuition or more accepting of it. I ignored it for so long. I ignored it forever because I always thought that I was overreacting or I was wrong about things or I was so open to other people's opinions and points of view that I always just assumed that mine might not be right. And it's a a new feeling for me to to when I do feel my intuition kind of saying like what you just said, poking its head out like, hey, (laughs) for me Mm -hmm. to actually listen to it and value it instead of just being, oh, no, Kelly, you're just being silly. You're just overreacting. Yes. And it's been kind of a nice thing to finally sort of trust my intuition for the first time because it does tell me valuable stuff. But it's difficult Mm -hmm. because I always still want to go back to that old way of not trusting it. Maybe because trusting it's kind of scary. It's easier to just trust what other people say instead. Mm. <laughs> it is. And it's hard. Yes. And when we're trusting something and we're sort of arguing a point, even if it's internally to ourselves, not even with another human being, we really want evidence. Yes. You know, we want evidence. And that was a huge part of my training that I had to overcome that, that th- this message that it's not okay to trust my intuition is it, so backwards to me and, and who I am now and in working with people that it is it so let's see how can i say this to have to start to manage this better especially if you've noticed you have a pattern of attracting narcissists or sociopaths in your life mm-hmm. it is exactly what you're naming kelly it's a it's a coming back to 
yourself. It's a coming back to trusting your intuition. It's a repairing a lifetime of millions of messages of you're too sensitive, you're overreacting. Yep. Why do you think that? That's not real. <laughs> uh, so how do I fix that? How do... <laughs> well, you're working on it already. Like, like what you just said is beautiful. It's a, it's a slow process. It's, it's back to what we said at the beginning. It's not that light switch where it's not just learning. It's not just reading something and learning it in terms terms of a thought in your head, like a piece of knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's about learning some of this knowledge and being able to engage yourself in a process of figuring out what that knowledge feels like as a sensitive person. Mm -hmm. What the difference is between intuition, which is often a calm sense. It's that little, huh, there's something to that. And if I don't have it figured out yet, I can pay attention to that. That's a very calm centered Mm -hmm. place to be versus anxiety, which is kind of like a scattered, uh, like, like our system is kind of on and activated and we might, our fight or flight might get enacted and we might be ready to fight or run in the opposite direction. So a big piece of learning how to manage this and, and what I coach people through is, is really figuring out within themselves, this difference between anxiety, um, and, and intuition and starting to trust again their intuition so that they can walk through their world and not become prey for these personalities that want to fit together with us and have sensitives offer this narcissistic supply. Wow. I am writing a note down right now. Difference between anxiety and intuition. I think that is so fascinating because if you said that to me like a couple years ago, I would have I would not have even understood what you meant. I mean, I think you have to be a certain distance along on the path of understanding your high sensitivity and kind of self-reflection to even understand what that phrase means. What is the difference between anxiety and intuition and to understand why that's important, you know? Yes. And to be able to believe that that's real. Yeah. I was raised very conservatively, like, like a lot of that intuitive language, a lot of the high sensitive sensitivity language, a lot of that, I got a lot of messages of that's a lot of hooey. Yeah, me too. So it's a lot of kind of shedding all of those preconceived notions that really weren't even our notions to begin with, that we've just soaked up like the empathic sponges that we are, Mm -hmm. our whole lot, and sort of wringing that out and soaking up information, knowledge, intuitive insight that really fits where we are now. And and you're absolutely right. If you are early on in this journey, in this exploration of yourself, of high sensitivity, the concept of intuition versus anxiety can be really mind-blowing. Yeah. And I totally relate to what you said. I also was raised in sort of a conservative family, a conservative community where it was exactly the same thing. Like I, it was all about facts and proof and evidence, not feelings meant nothing. Feelings were useless. It was all about information. And uh, it is really weird to try to embrace the other side of that. It's this strange yes. thing. It's kind of it's scary a little bit. It is. It is. And it's scary in confronting mm-hmm. either the narcissist or a sociopath or, or anyone with some of these traits that are, that are presenting because we don't have any proof. Right. Yeah. What if we're wrong? What if we're what if, overreacting oh, again? Yes. And so to be able to even do this, part of the process and part of what I coach people and myself 
with is, is a permission of, you know what? I might be wrong. Hmm. I might be wrong, but my intuition is waving a red flag. Yeah. And so in a sense, I have to give myself permission to say, you know what? I might be wrong, but I'm going to back away from this. There's only one thing that someone takes from our discussion. Maybe that would be it is that even if you don't completely trust your intuition, if you could just start, just try to start listening to it a little bit when the, the red flag is waving, like you said, that might be the first step. Because our intuition is such a valuable thing that we have. We have awesome intuition. Yes. <laughs> we are so intuitive, which comes from the fact that we observe so much and we process every little thing and the nuances around us. It, it gives us such an insight into the world around us. And then to be ignoring it and fighting it is kind of a shame, I guess, when you think about it. It is. And, and especially for women, this is a particular issue. Oh, I can't think of the author's name. But there's a fantastic book. Um, I think he wrote it in the late 80s. Uh, it's called The Gift of Fear. See, I think he was FBI, something like that. And he went around and interviewed people who escaped serial killers, who are all sociopaths, who are all narcissists. Hmm. And what he started figuring out was that all of these people said the same thing. They said, I knew something bad was going to happen that day. Or I knew the guy that offered to put my groceries into my car was creepy. And so basically he pulled back and said, what in the hell is going on? If everyone had this intuitive sense, why didn't anybody act on it and, and trust it? And, and a big part of women and I'm born and raised in new Orleans. I'm a Southern woman too. Mm -hmm. So we have some of those, those Southern, you know, Hey, a, a lady doesn't do right. certain things. You don't upset people. We don't get angry. You know, we're polite at all costs. A lot of that is, is really rooted in the culture. And so a big part of not trusting our intuition is we're going to look rude. Right. And, and that's and, the worst thing. <laughs> yes. And, and even when someone was mm -hmm. terrified or scared of someone assaulting them, right. that that reigned supreme, that, oh, I better not be rude. Oh, yeah. I've totally been – I mean, I've never been assaulted or hurt, thank goodness, but there have been times when I felt a little uncomfortable, but I didn't want to be rude. So I just went ahead even though my intuition was – but then I guess I, my intuition was wrong because I never did end up <laughs> getting hurt. But that's not the point. That is so interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and the psychological aspect and where I, where I pull from that is figuring out what are these belief systems that keep me from trusting my intuition. Wow. And, and a lot of it is polite. A lot of it is a lot of judgment about um, how a woman presents that I'll be bitchy if I assert myself. Right. It, it was hard for me to go through school um, and learn um, a lot of, of the basics of this information, I would get angry with my professors and I'd say, why isn't this part of what we teach in, in elementary school and high school? Like this is, oh, this is such yeah. information that all of us can benefit from. And it, it, it's a huge part of why I'm passionate and, and trying to shift my career to more online so that I can kind of get this out for more people and, and help them take better care of themselves and not, and not apologize for trusting their intuition. Yeah. Which is apologizing for trusting intuition is totally, I feel like I'm on, I'm actively working sort of on getting better at that. That's sort of where I am right now. And, and it's interesting when you think of all the HSPs out there, we're all in our own little space. We're all in our own little dot on that path of wherever, who knows where it ends, but along the path of feeling better about ourselves and accepting our high sensitivity and getting better at utilizing the powerful parts of it and the the positive parts of it. 
So I guess is maybe the question that's begging to be asked now is if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I totally, uh, I'm in a relationship with a narcissist or I know I have a narcissist in my life. What would be some beginning tips? I mean, what do you do? Should you just run as far away as you can from a narcissist? (laughs) Well, I mean, ideally, maybe, but because life is complex, we have children, we have bank accounts, Mm -hmm. we, you know, we own homes together. Uh, it, it's just not that simple. I would say get support. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. Like number one, you need support. Um, these personalities are really good at getting inside of our heads. And if you've been in a relationship, especially a romantic relationship for years and years, there's just so much there to, to untangle, to, to disconnect from that you really need some healthy supports. So if you don't have that, figure out where to get it. Find a therapist that understands highly sensitive people Mm -hmm. that understands narcissism. Not every therapist does. Okay. All this fits together in so many puzzle piece ways, but that's part of advocating for yourself as an HSP. And it's unfortunate because you shouldn't have to, you know, every therapist should understand what this is. We're not there yet. Right. Maybe in my lifetime we will be, maybe it's part of the work that you're doing and, and that I'm doing and, each person that I think realizes that they're an HSP, I think they're adding kind of the, to the collective consciousness. Um, they're being an advocate for it every time they tell someone that they're a highly sensitive person. Like we're, we're growing and we're figuring this out more and more. But you do need safe people that that do understand what that is and how to work within that and help empower you to make the changes that you need to protect yourself wherever you are. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go back a second when you were talking about sociopaths. Can you clarify a little bit what the differences are between narcissist traits and uh, sociopath traits? One of the main differences and one of the the things that can help you just kind of identify what what you're dealing with in your life is that for the most part, a narcissist is not really going to be too manipulative. Hmm, Okay. Okay. The sociopath is going to be more manipulative. And it's because the narcissist is really unaware of their effect on others. It's they're kind of so self-absorbed that, that they don't even really pay attention to the fact that, that their behavior is having an effect on other people. The sociopath will engage you to talk about you. They're more skilled at manipulating. Um, we all know about serial killers without that charming part that really makes you comfortable at first. Mm-hmm. They can't really kind of get in there and to do the harm that they have planned. Wow. Now, a serial killer is way far on the extreme. It's as extreme as you can get on the scale. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of different ways that, that this shows up in, in a nonviolent way, um, just in someone who uh, might kind of screw with you at work. Um, so one of the differences is that, like, if you make a narcissist or a sociopath angry, and by setting boundaries, you very well probably will, uh, the narcissist might lash out at you, might bully you, mm-hmm. but a sociopath might play the long game. Wow. And that's creepy and scary, yeah. but something that I think we, we need to know, we need to know to deal with, because if you, if you sense that maybe that's going on, it can feel so crazy. You know, like we don't want to think that someone is manipulating us on such a grand scale, right. but it happens day in and day out. And so ju- just know that if you're sensing that, mm-hmm. it, it really may be happening and you might not ever be able to put your finger on it. You might not ever be able to get that kind of evident evidence that that tells you that that's really happening, but your intuition 
consider that that might be the most into the most information and evidence that you need. Got to trust that intuition. It's kind of scary. Like I think about if someone's realizing that they're with one of these people, what a feeling of dread that would be to be like, oh my God, I built this life with this person, or if it's their partner, for example, and now I'm realizing that they're a narcissist or sociopath. That's really scary. It is. But I would say you've been living in scary and, and you've been living in not being able to figure out what's going on and it's chaotic and you're, you're internalizing and taking blame because these personalities don't take responsibility. Hmm. And sensitive people can be so overly responsible that we can really accept blame and try to work real hard at it. And we can't make it work. It takes two people to make something work. Yeah. We don't, we don't have the power to do that. So if you are realizing that and it's freaking you out, mm-hmm. try to take a deep breath and know that nothing's changed. And the fact that you do have some awareness about this dynamic now, you can start to sort it out and you can get the help that you need. And people do every single day. And there's so much help and there's so much information out there for you. If it's not me, there are people around you that will help you. You just have to, you just have to seek it out and find someone that really resonates with you that you can trust to help figure this out and, and make any changes that you need for your unique situation for you. What a wonderful, comforting way to put that. I think you're in the right line of work, Nikki. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so you mentioned when we first started chatting via email that you are a possible budding comedian. Do you want to talk <laughs> a little bit about that? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a complete silly goose and I, I have so much fun with my clients. And okay, let's see. This is a good example of kind of how I work with people too. Um, I'm a big believer in sort of practicing what I preach, right? And for years, I've wanted to do improv. I've wanted mm. to get on stage when I was a kid. I dreamed of uh, being a writer for Saturday Night Live. I finally went to an improv group recently and I love and adore them. And what I realized, especially being an HSP who can overthink, right, and overplan and try to control the situation so that I don't feel certain things, improv is a fantastic way to practice all the healthy muscles that HSPs need. Because I absolutely cannot overthink an improv skit. It happens right now in the moment. And as uncomfortable and sweaty as that makes me. Yeah. It's it's a great tool to get outside of my comfort zone, to stretch in that way, to be able to flow more, to give myself permission to make mistakes, mm-hmm. to look ridiculous yeah. and to be silly and that's a huge stress reliever for us HSPs that as much as we're feelers, we really can go to our head and spend way too much time there. Wow, I never thought of that. Doing improv would probably would be a great thing for HSPs in so many ways. Especially introverts. Yeah, especially and and I am I am introverted. I can appear very extroverted, but I am very introverted, and uh, that's a great example of how I work. I, I try not to focus on the actual problem with people, and we come up with solutions like that about like how to really like practice the skills and the the emotional muscles. And so um, I'm I'm passionate about figuring out maybe how more comedy like can show up in my life. And my ultimate fear is probably getting getting on stage and doing a stand-up set. So I I would not be okay with myself if I get to the end of my life and I don't do that. So I'm going to make myself a step here. So you're high sensation seeking. <laughs> I, I am. I, I really am. I, yeah. I That part of being an HSP, I do, which was a big confusing part for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting because, and I'm also an introvert, 
so many people associate being introverted with fear of public speaking. And that always bothers me a little bit because first of all, everyone's afraid. Like that's one of the biggest fears, pervasive fears among everyone is public speaking. It's not just an introvert thing. And I actually don't mind public speaking in the right situations. If I feel like I'm prepared and that's mainly the main thing. If I feel like I'm prepared, I actually kind of like talking to groups and speaking in front of people. So it's the same thing with the improv. People might think, well, that sounds like the last thing that an introvert would ever want to do, especially an introverted HSP. But there's still some part of us for the high, sens- high sensation seekers that we crave. I don't know. What is it that, what is it that we're craving or why, what is it that makes you want to do it? Well, I, I think, let's see. It's I, exciting. It's exciting. I also believe that as HSPs, I, I think we can get into this mode of trying to avoid so much mm-hmm. because it's uncomfortable or it's draining. Mm-hmm. And while that makes sense a lot of the time, I do think there's this, this quality that as HSPs, we do have to find whatever our own personal growth edge is mm-hmm. in this capacity and, and stretch it. We don't want to bust through it. We don't want to break through it. We don't want to snap it. Right. But we do want to kind of like, with some gentle mindfulness, push against it and grow and see what, what can come out of that growth. Because we, we don't know until we we push against that, that growth edge. I think in terms of the getting on stage or getting in front of people, I think we have such a deep feeling part. Mm-hmm. And we want to share that with people. Yeah. And it is a rush, like just with anyone. I mean, there's things that are exciting and there's a rush to it. Just because you're an introvert or, or even if you have shyness or an HSP, it doesn't mean you don't still get kind of excited by doing exciting things. <laughs> Absolutely. And in terms of comedy, I, I think being being a highly sensitive person or an empath, which I, I believe I am too, um, you know, it can get so heavy and it can get so serious. Yes. And I think we really, as a, I think of everything through the lens of balancing. Mm-hmm. Because of that, I think we do need to get outside of our heads. We do need lightness. And I think comedy is such an underrated and undervalued healing yeah. modality. Yeah. It lightens it lightens some of these heavy topics so that we absolutely can process them and manage them. And uh, I'm, I also teach uh, grief and loss. And I'm probably the most ridiculous grief and loss teacher like, on the planet because I, I have fun and silliness. Uh-huh. <laughs> Teaching grief and loss, which I think is, you know, you you need that. That's part mm-hmm. of what balances the heaviness of it. So yeah. that's where I am at, with comedy right now in my life. <laughs> that is great. Well, good luck with that. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, Nikki. I learned a lot about being a sociopath, about narcissism, what it's like to be a mental health professional in an HSP. So let everyone know where they can find you and where they can get in touch with you on social media. So my uh, new website is called Wise Owl Within. It's at wiseowlwithin.com. You can find the Sonder and Solace life consultant sessions that I do. I offer some packages or single sessions. You can sign up for those um, on my website. I'm actually working on a little uh, self-exploration kind of educational package called Finding Yourself Wherever You Are that will have some meditations, um, some yoga uh, some written exercises, some reading materials. I'm going to read you a story um, just to kind of help uh, help you figure out where you are and where you might want to go 
maybe with your HSPness or whatever you're finding out about yourself. I'm also working on a passion project in collaboration with Shauna Peel from This Is Media Habit. And we're doing um, a series in the near future called Finding Beauty in the Breakup to offer mm-hmm. some support for people who are going through a breakup. So you can find me at Wise Owl Within and you can email me, you can read my blogs and yeah, reach out. I love hearing from people. Great. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing that. Thanks so much for tuning in today, folks. I'll have a link in the show notes at highlysensitiveperson.net slash episode 65 to information about this episode, including all the links to Nikki's social media and her website. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support it, please become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash HSP. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash HSP. You can support the show by giving a donation in any amount. Even $1 per episode is fantastic. And if you can't afford to support financially, please show your support by rating the show on iTunes. It might seem like a small thing, but it is the number one way that people are able to discover the show for the first time. That's it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 